Hi everyone, this is Kristen and welcome to episode number two of the Eating Disorder Recovery Speakers podcast. Thank you so much for opening your time up for stories, inspiration, and guidance from other people who are in recovery from or who have recovered from their eating disorders. This has suddenly become so much easier now that one episode is out of the way. I'm so excited about today's episode because it is my first interview, and I am relieved because technology cooperated for us, so that feels like a big win over here. Just a reminder, if you like this episode or this podcast in general, please rate us on iTunes and share it with other people. The more ratings it gets, the easier it is for other people to find it. And the more it's shared, the more people will hopefully benefit from hearing stories of how good life can be after recovery. So the person who is sharing her story today is named Blanning Egan. Blanning and I have the same teacher, and we met on a leadership intensive run by that teacher in Costa Rica. One thing I love about Blanning is that I'm pretty sure the entire two weeks of the retreat, she didn't mention that she had had an eating disorder. And at one point, Kobe had even asked me to share about mine a little bit, just so that people kind of knew who I was and how I got to where I was then. And, um, you know, after that, a few of the participants came up to me and, and shared that they were struggling or they had struggled, but Blanding never did. And now, Clearly, I'm all about embracing your past. I think there's so much courage in sharing your story. And I also really appreciate when an eating disorder is so not a per- part of a person's life anymore that they don't feel like they need to share it. Like it just doesn't come up. I remember when I was in Costa Rica, actually, I, um, I got asked to do an interview on Fox News about eating disorders. And of course I said yes, because I love sharing my story. And then I remember being like, wow, um, I don't think I ever told the man that I'm dating that I had an eating disorder. And we hadn't been dating for that long, but for me that was kind of a big realization that it was so not a part of my life that there was no reason for me to bring it up. It wasn't like, hi, my name is Kristen. Thank you for being on this date with me. I used to have an eating disorder. Like we had been seeing each other for about three months at that point. And, you know, it was just such a non-issue that it never came up. Um, and so... Like I said, I kind of appreciate when that happens too. Like it's just not a part of my life anymore. And so I don't feel the need to have to share it. That being said, obviously I share my story. Please do. I encourage it. I think it's courageous. So Blanning is this bright light of a person. She is fun. Her fun, playful energy I think is contagious. She has a beautiful singing voice and she is open and she is loving and I didn't know about her eating disorder until she posted something about it on Facebook at some point after Costa Rica. And I remember just being so impressed that the person that I knew Blanning was, like who she was in Costa Rica when I met her, had come from the darkness of an eating disorder that obviously I know so well. Um, she went from this place of darkness and she became this light beam that was just compassionate and loving and fun and playful and she traveled and she was an activist and she was all of these amazing things and that 
all came despite of the fact that she had struggled with an eating disorder for so long. Her story and her interview will touch on her eating disorder, um, her eating disorder's comorbidity with alcohol and drug addiction, uh, yoga and meditation, traveling, and so much more. So everyone, I introduce you to Blanning. So when I was a teenager, um, I started having issues with uh, drinking and drugs. And definitely, I grew up in a family where there was addiction. And um, I definitely had a sense that things were out of control in my family. And I feel that the issues with control for me uh, were a big part of how my eating disorder grew and grew and eventually just became really out of control. Um, <clears throat> as a teenager, I struggled a little bit, um, but it really wasn't until I was in my, um, in really in, when I was in my 30s. Um, and I was definitely drinking and doing a lot of drugs and this was definitely an issue for me for a good part of my life. Um, but something in my 30s, I, looking back, I guess it started really just with dieting. And um, I, certainly, I was never heavy uh, by, a, by a clinical standpoint as a, as a kid or as a young adult. But I just sort of had this, um, this feeling inside that I wanted to be, I wanted to be thin and it started out, um, definitely as, um, pretty mild and just sort of, Hey, you know what? I think I'll just cut out carbs and I think I'll just do this and I'll, um, you know, I just want to lose a couple of pounds. And <clears throat> so around this time, um, I, I was an only child and I had two fantastic parents. Um, that being said, they both had their issues. I was very close to my father. And around this time, um, I moved in with my dad and um, was actually uh, working as a um, teacher. Uh, teaching uh, special needs kids. But I was really, really close to my father. Um, we were just like absolutely best friends. And um, I had been living out on Nantucket and um, was definitely part of the big part of the drinking scene out there. And um, I guess I just felt like, you know, my dad's getting older and I'm missing out spending all this time with him. And I just made this decision to move in with him, <clears throat> which was great. And um, however, my father was older and um, I was the product of a second marriage for both my parents. So um, my dad was in his mid forties when I was born. So when I moved in with him, he was in his eighties. He was still very active but I absolutely adored him. And I really had this feeling that I just wanted to be there at his house and make sure that he was gonna be okay. 
And this is really where um, things really started for me. Um, because what happened was uh, my dad ended up having an accident right in front of me and dying right there. And the shock of this was, of course, um, huge. But there was, um, there was a sense that I was there to control and I was there to make sure that he was okay. And I failed, like the absolute unthinkable happened and um, he fell down the stairs and he, and that was it. And <clears throat> so when this happened was really the big pivotal point for me, this was in 2006. And I remember making a conscious decision saying, well, I couldn't control this and I couldn't save him and I couldn't, I wasn't able to do this. And the one thing I knew that I could do is I said, you know, I'm finally going to be thin. And I started just completely restricting my diet. And every day um, I had a certain number of calories that I would take in. And then the next day I'd reduce it by 50 or a hundred or whatever. And it was, it was definitely this sort of a game, but I was pretty darn determined. And <clears throat> it was, um, so this was in 2000, the end of 2006 was when my father died. And then by April of 2007, um, I was having very severe physical um, issues. I was passing out. Um, I wasn't able to show up for work. I was having to stay home. And I was also regulating my social life. Like I would not go out or do anything if it meant that, you know, dinner was involved or a meal was involved. My whole life started to revolve around um, just wanting to be thin and wanting to lose weight and lose more weight and lose more weight. And <clears throat> so by April of 2007, um, friends of mine, uh, came, this, I was living up in New Hampshire, that's where my father lived. And friends of mine uh, showed up at my doorstep and said, you've got to do something. And I agreed and I got in a car with them and uh, one of my friends had called a facility in Cambridge, which was actually the closest place to where I was in New Hampshire. And they had a big waiting list, and they bumped me to the top. And um, I was admitted the next day. And I was in that facility. I was diagnosed straight away with anorexia. Um, I was... Uh, pretty boring with my, <laughs> with my, um, my practices. I was a restrictor. That's what I did. Um, just more and more, as I said, fewer and fewer and fewer calories. So I spent most of 2007 in this facility in Cambridge. And um, I will say that there were battles back and forth. I had insurance through my job and there were battles back and forth with insurance companies and um, 
treatment for me, I've been in treatment many times. Um, it's, it was never the answer for me. And the problem is, um, in my situation, I would get admitted and my body, my physical body was suffering so much and organs were shutting down and there were issues and, um, you know, having to be on IVs and all, all different things. And they're in such a, there's such a focus, just, just get food into her, just get her to eat that very little was addressing the emotions and the mental thought processes that were behind what I was doing. It just doesn't get addressed or it didn't for me when I was in um, treatment. So needless to say, I got out of um, treatment in at, towards the end of 2007 and I found myself right back in. Um, and I did this bouncing back and forth um, for several years, um, and ended up moving back down to Connecticut with my mother and, <coughs> excuse me, um, let's see. So the first thing that really contributed toward my recovery happened in March of 2012. Um, I had still been drinking and using drugs, and um, I had a, a really severe blackout uh, over one weekend, um, and it, it was just totally terrifying, and it was the sort of thing I had been out, and I'd been drinking, and I'd been using some drugs, and of course, from being in treatment, I had started on all sorts of antidepressants and anti-anxieties and all these um, different medications, and I'm and I'm drinking at the same time. So I had this really severe blackout in March um, of 2012, and it scared the crap out of me because it involved I was driving, and I kind of woke up in my truck in a parking lot, having no idea what had happened for like 24 hours before that. And two days later, I went to my first AA meeting. <clears throat> this was, um, for my recovery, recovery, absolutely pivotal. This is where it, things really started to change. Um, I started going, to, I stopped drinking, stopped drugs, stopped everything. And in 2012, of course, what happens or what was my experience is, once I would get a handle on one addiction, others would, uh, as long as I wasn't addressing the emotional problems, other addictions would worsen. So by not drinking and not drugging, my eating disorder became completely out of control in 2012. And I was admitted to Renfrew in Philadelphia, and I bounced back and forth in there um, throughout the year. Same kind of cycle, um, you get in there and they just, um, the doctors really wanted, now at this point I'm on 11 medications, this was in 2012. I had five doctors <clears throat> all telling me I could never go off one of these medications, that would be it. I would, I had to stay on all this stuff. 
and this was just going to be my life. And very little was addressing my emotional self and the feelings I had of wanting to control um, the fear inside me. Nothing was really addressing any of that. As I said, it was all about just feed, 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 you know, just put weight on, get the, get the body back. Um, and I understand, you know, that's obviously that's the concern when you get admitted and you're so far underweight and your, your, um, your body is really, it's, it's dying, you know, and I get that. However, I really needed things to shift in my brain. And the first shift was when I got sober in March. The next shift came in 2013 um, when I discovered yoga and meditation. And I discovered um, that there was this whole world that I never had a clue about um, that was right in front of me. And was learning a lot about self-acceptance and um, about being human and about limitations and all these things. And it really made sense in my brain. And it was a relief. <clears throat> it was a huge relief for me. And this was the next real big pivotal point for me. In 13, um, I made the decision that I was didn't want to take any medications and I, I was going to yoga twice a day and I was meditating and um, just really felt that um, the medication wasn't, um, I started to question its place in my life. And this was a really big step because I'd had all these doctors tell me for so long that I had to be on these medications. And, you know, there was just no ifs, ands, or buts. And it wasn't just one doctor. It was this whole team of doctors. Anyway, I took it upon myself to research each one, and I took myself off each medication. And it took about a year. <clears throat> but um, it was, for me, it was another important step. Somewhere in there, I started um, around 13 and in 14, I started really connecting with different teachers that I was meeting through yoga and meditation. And something that really, really, well, really the big answer for me really came down to the fact that I, lear I learned that I had a choice. So <clears throat> this concept was something that my mother had told me when I was a teenager and boy, I didn't want to hear it then. And I sure as hell didn't listen, but, um, it for in my life and for me, it is absolutely 100% true is that I have a choice every single day. I have a choice. If I'm going to eat breakfast, I have a choice. If I'm going to eat lunch, I have a choice what I'm going to eat. Um, and <clears throat> This was so important, a concept for me to um, get healthy. And it's made such a huge difference. It, it's made all the difference in the world in my life, is accepting that 
I have a choice if I want to be depressed. I have a choice, like, and, you know, maybe this isn't somebody else's truth. I can only speak mine, but this absolutely is my truth. And um, I've learned so much about, um, through different teachers and through therapy in the past few years. Um, so now we're in 2018. Um, I have not been in a treatment facility since 2012. I haven't had a medication since 2013. And I've been sober from alcohol and drugs since 2012. So this is pretty remarkable. Um, <clears throat> I had many, many doctors that were really super kind to me and gave me a lot of their time and their energy, but none of them were encouraging as far as <clears throat> that I would ever be living the kind of life that I'm living right now, which is I get up every morning and I have time for meditation and I sit and it can, meditation for me doesn't necessarily mean um, sitting in a full lotus, like trying to clear my mind. It's, it's a different, it's changed and it's um, changed over the years into a whole different thing. It can be my watching um, a hummingbird <laughs> out my window for, you know, several minutes and getting lost in that. Um, it's not, it's just, anyway, meditation has completely changed things for me. And the fact that I get up now and I do that and I do yoga and then I sit down and I write and I paint and I'm in a brand new city that I moved myself to just a few months ago. I'm in Portland, Oregon now and um, meeting wonderful people. Um, I spend a lot of my time as well um, being very active um, regarding a lot of the issues going on in our country currently. Um, <clears throat> and this is an important thing for me. And it's, I find different creative ways to um, bring awareness to people about um, things that are happening in our country that, um, that we could change and we could do differently. And um, just a couple weeks ago, I decided to go, actually right before Christmas, I decided to go down and um, stand in front of Walmart and talk to people as they were going in shopping about um, some issues that were going on that week um, with our, um, our government and things that were happening. And it was amazing the response that I got. So <clears throat> my point of saying this is, my life today can't even compare to what it's been in the past. Like it's, I, I'm so filled with gratitude every day about um, the people I have in my life. I have just amazing friends, some of whom I've met through recovery and some I've met after. I mean, just all different stories and people and, and um, they share things with me and it's just, it's just really, really incredible. So <clears throat> my life is pretty full these days. <laughs> um, I'm also full-time 
uh, working on physical health. I do have, um, I have Lyme disease, which is um, a challenge that I deal with, um, but I have a whole bunch of different therapies that I'm doing here in Portland. And um, it's amazing what that, what that whole thing brings to light in life for me. Um, but I guess um, the, the biggest thing I can say that um, made the difference in my life is understanding that everything in my life is a choice. Um, and I can change it at any time. Like, it's not, it's not a done deal because, you know, it's nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night and the day is almost like I can, I have a wonderful teacher um, who I met at Kripalu, um, Kobe Kozlowski, who's just amazing. And um, she's one of several teachers that I just absolutely adore. I learned so much from her. And that was something she really taught me was that you can start for at any time. And, um, and I do lots of times <laughs> if I'm not happy with, um, if I don't feel like I'm being my best self, um, I can start it over, which is, which is pretty great. So that's her story. If it resonated with you, if you love her as much as I do, and you've got questions for her, she and I will be co-hosting a live Q&A on Friday, February 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's free. I will leave all of the details on how to log into that in the episode notes on iTunes or on my webpage, alwaysabeing.com slash podcast. Again, it's going to be Friday, February 9th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now I'm going to interview Blanning and ask her a few follow-up questions based on the story that she just told. We talk about things like the link between her eating disorder and her issues with drugs and alcohol, her love of travel, lessons that she learned in her recovery, and a lot more. She mentions a few teachers and also a meditation app that she uses. Anytime that somebody that I'm interviewing with has a resource for you guys or if I mention something that I think will be helpful check the notes on iTunes and check my website because I'm going to always try to link those so that you've got access to the same resources if I ever don't and you're curious send me an email and I'll try to get all of that information for you now on to the interview with planning So thank you so much for sharing your story, Blanning. It was really amazing to hear it because you and I have known each other for a few years, but it's, you know, I knew you had an eating disorder. Like I knew you had shared that um, on social media, but also with me, but it, I had never really heard your story. So I want to thank you for showing up for me and this project and being my guinea pig, being the first interview that I do, and also for being courageous enough to share your story. So one of the first questions I want to ask you is, why did you agree to share your story? Why do you share your story? Um, well, Kristen, and I, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Um, I, I share my story because um, if it gives one person hope, um, it's that that's all that's all that matters if it, it gives them 
the tiniest bit of hope, the tiniest bit of inspiration to do something differently, to be brave and try something differently. Um, that's fantastic. That's all I care about. So it's great. So one thing I want to ask you is you had mentioned um, that you had an eating disorder, but the, you also struggled with drugs and alcohol. And just because I've been in treatment and I know a lot of people that have had an eating disorder of some kind, whether it's anorexia or binge eating or bulimia and an issue with alcohol and an issue with drugs and an issue with some other kind of addiction, a lot of them, you know, a lot of people will say that an eating disorder is another form of an addiction. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to your experience of having an addiction in multiple different ways. And I know you said a little bit about how when one kind of went away, the other one got stronger. So any, anything you have to say about that or similarities or differences that you noticed um, with you and them, how they affected your recovery, having multiple, anything that you've got, because I think that'll, that's something a lot of people struggle with is having more than one addiction. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so for me, um, they definitely both um, my alcohol, drug addiction, anorexia, for me, all of it stemmed from the same place, which was a combination, an emotional combination in my heart, my soul, and my brain of uh, not having self-love and needing to feel like I had control, self-control, which is ironic because as we see with alcohol addiction and drug addiction and with eating disorders, control, they, they end up completely out of control is, an, is what the result is. But it really stemmed from just this lack of self-love within me. Um, and it was, there, for me, they're all very destructive um, you know, addictions are very destructive. They um, destroyed a lot of different aspects of my life. And once I started to um, get a sense of self-acceptance and self-love, that's the game changer for me. That's the big part of it. Can you say a little bit more about that? So what was it first? How did you start to um, foster self-love? And once you felt like you had a little bit of more of self-love, um, what were you then able to do and how did that affect your recovery? So the idea of this really came um, for me through yoga. And, um, and it was the last thing that I expected to get through yoga. I wanted to, you know, be able to do a split better and, you know, put my leg behind my head and things like that. And it really what was so um, surprising was it really turned around and it was much more about the understanding of um, that I was a human being and that, you know, perhaps one day my leg will go behind my head and perhaps it never will. And either, either way is just fine. And there's so much of that in yoga is um, self you know, for me, it starts with self-acceptance, which becomes self-love, um, the acceptance of my own limitations as a human, and the celebrations of my own, hey, but look at what I am doing, you know? And um, so 
yoga for me was so much more than, you know, I started to do it just to um, gain flexibility, you know, improve flexibility in my body. And it just changed the flexibility of my mind, which was just, um, it improved it so much. It was amazing. Totally unexpected. Not by <laughs> what I thought I was getting into when I started. I think that's pretty common because as you know, I have done so much yoga too. And I don't, I think I started it also just physically, which I think a lot of people in especially westernized cultures go to it for the physical reason. But a lot of the people that stick with it, it's because they are getting something different. And so you just mentioned um, like flexibility with your mind. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about what you mean by that. Like, what does it mean to be more flexible in your mind? So um, when, when I think back to when I was really, really um, lost and struggling in my eating disorder, there was no flexibility. Um, I, I gave myself, you know, a certain, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into numbers, but a certain amount of, um, you know, something I could eat. And there was no straying from it. That was just the number. And then the next day, there was a new number that was even smaller. And there was no straying from it. There was no flexibility. Like, that was it. It had to be that. And, you know, if I was feeling weak or if I it just, well, then I just, I guess I just have to hang out on the couch today. I guess I got to just isolate, stay home, hang out on the couch. Because there was no room for flexibility of you know, altering that number. Mm -hmm. And of course, once I got into yoga, there's just so much flexibility. You know, if, if this aspect of this pose doesn't work for you, hey, you can, you know, you can modify, do it this way. All different bodies, they can do all different things. Mm -hmm. And what's right for one is not necessarily right for the other. And this was just a concept that was totally not in my rule book when I was in my, um, when I was in my, the throes of my eating disorder, just wasn't even a possibility. If you were going to write like a new rule book, what would one of the rules of your life be now? So based on how you're living now, if someone was going to be like, this is a rule book on how to live life in recovery, what's something that you would add to that list? Um, Definitely um, interacting with people. Um, this this has become so. So I spent um, my childhood as an only child, so I was alone a lot. And um, only children get comfortable being alone. Um, but I really think that it's not necessarily healthy. It's good to. It's it's totally cool to be you know that you're okay being on your own and all that stuff but human contact human interaction talking to other people listening to other people um it's a big part of it and i can i can think back to you know days of addiction drinking and and just wanting to isolate and this that is the absolute kiss of death for me it's so important to go out and meet people and talk and listen and interact. 
I think that's a big part of it for me. What about interaction in particular is so important for you in your life? Um, because once, um, first of all, I learn things. Um, people, people that I meet, people that I talk to, they teach me things. And, you know, we, we really are all in this together. And um, I, I really do believe that we're, humans are much more alike than we are different. And it's, there's something so valuable about listening to somebody else talk about something and it, when it rings true in your heart and your mind and you say, oh, wow, I feel the same way. Oh my gosh. It's, it totally takes the element of, oh, wow, we're doing this on our own. It, it, it totally shatters that because there's another person there that's um, able to relate. And it's, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. Isolating is a big part of, um, is, is not healthy for me and is not a good thing to, to have happen. No matter what's going on in my day, I try and um, get out every day and meet somebody new. And I do. And it's, it's always a great experience. Always. I think that's such a good point on so many levels. Because first, I think that so, not just eating disorders, but so much unhappiness is by comparing and like being competitive with other people. And this feeling of a lack. Like if they have that, then I can't have that. And I think one thing I love about what you're saying is that we are all in this together. So rather than comparing you versus somebody else, you know, and making yourself miserable because of it, it's actually, what can I learn from you? You know, because we are all different and there's so much to learn because of it. Um, and then the other thing I love about what you just said is you had mentioned this in your story is that not only were you restricting your food, but you were also restricting your social interactions. And that I think is something that I've heard a lot that people that restrict their food restrict so many other things as well. So for me, I think I also restricted social interactions, but I restricted my voice. Like I never liked, I didn't talk, you know, I didn't like to talk. I didn't want to be talked to. Um, I didn't want people to ask me questions. I always felt like I was really someone that was shrinking rather than putting myself out there. And part of that's preference. Like, I think that's true to me. I'm more quiet than I am, like, comfortable in the spotlight. But I was also just restricting my voice as well. And so I'm wondering if you can look at your life based on when you were sick. Was there other things that you felt like you were also restricting? Oh, for sure. So um, there, there's such a huge difference when I look back on my, my, the experience <laughs> that I'm living right now as opposed to um, six, six years ago, six, seven years ago. Um, it, I wasn't living because everything... Um, Every part of my day, uh, it was just about um, it was just about trying to be thin. Every, so it, it affected everything. It affected so more often than not, I didn't go out. I stayed home. 
because going out usually meant um, possible food coming, you know, food things happening. And um, with my practices, it was, it was just absolutely written in stone that there was only a certain number of calories I would have every day. And every day it was a new number and it was always smaller than the day before. And so going out was just like, <laughs> that wasn't an option at all because, you know, who, who knows it, like if somebody invited me to go to a movie or something like, Oh no, I can't, I'm not feeling great. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe next week, you know? So life was always being put off. It was always on hold until I reached this magic number that um, they're never really, the magic number of course never happens or it never happened for me because I, in my brain, even though I was like way, 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 way below where you're, where my weight was supposed to be, I still wasn't thin no matter what, the number there was the magic number never it never existed mm -hmm. so yeah so restricting on all levels like restricting life just wasn't living at all and i think that another thing that we restrict is all eating disorders and probably you know all addictions are a way to not feel feelings or not to think certain things you know and so we become preoccupied so preoccupied with our addiction whether whether it's um restricting or drinking or drugs we become so preoccupied that we can't actually feel and we can't think about other things and so i guess i'm wondering um you had said in treatment a lot of formal treatment didn't work because it was so much about your weight restoration what were some of the feelings that you actually needed to work through in order to recover okay yeah that's a great question um, and so important. Um, so, and, and I want to just, I want to rephrase. So when I was in, all the times I was in treatment, I've always had a psychiatrist, always a therapist that was assigned to me and we would discuss them, but for what I needed, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Like I just needed more of a focus on the emotions. And for me, I was really filled with rage and anger um, at a lot of a lot of childhood stuff. And what I learned is, for me, when I'm angry, it's always fear. <laughs> like anger for me is a secondary emotion. So when I'm really pissed off at something, these days when I get pissed off at something, it's wow, what am I afraid of here? And there's always a fear underneath. So um, in treatment for me, what wasn't getting addressed um, was the fears that were going on inside of me, fears that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't enough, like this really basic, um, you know, fear that I just, as a human, as a woman, as a person, I just wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't talented enough. I wasn't bright enough, smart enough, whatever it was. So, and this was something that um, took, it, it took me finding it out for myself. It wasn't something that I really got through treatment. Maybe touched on it, but just didn't really see the big picture 
um, and really get in there until like I was working through it on my own and, and through yoga and meditation and teachers that I met and therapists that I met, but it wasn't something that happened in the, in the days of, in treatment specifically, because that was always geared just to, you know, just to, just to feed you, you know, get, get my body weight up. So today, if you find yourself getting angry, you said that you're able to take a step back and say, what am I afraid of? And so yeah. say you come upon a fear and it, a lot of us are still dealing with the same fears. They just kind of pop up over and over again, but whatever the fear is, what might you do now to deal with the fear um, rather than what you used to do to deal with the fear? So that's a great question too. So um, what's key these days for me, because I, I am human and I do have different emotions and I do get, you know, pissed off or angry or whatever at different times. These are just, I get happy or sad, but for me, um, if I get angry about something, it's an immediate thing that I need to step back and slow down because the energy that happens with anger for me, um, it gets very speeded up, it's heated, and I can make impulsive decisions. So it's an immediate, when I'm angry about something, it's immediate thing for me to say, whoop, all right, I gotta stop for a minute. What am I pissed off about? Why am I angry? Oh, look at this, I'm scared of this happening. And then I just sit with the fear. And I just say, okay, so let's say that does happen. Let's say the fear does happen. Then what? Then what? Then what? And it's really just a matter of going through the process, slowing down, going through the process, and coming out and saying, hey, you know what? If, if that fear, if that really happens, that's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's not, a, it's not a deal breaker. It's fine. Because nine times out of ten, it's not a deal breaker. Right. And it's, it's so much of so many of yeah. us are just like such extremists that we go to the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen, which like you just said, first of all, it, it usually isn't that that happens. And second of all, even if it was that, it's still not the end of the world. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, so you've spoken a lot about meditation and how in addition to yoga, meditation was really helpful for you. And so I'm wondering for the people that are listening, do you have any suggestions on meditation teachers or books or um, recordings or apps that you've found really helpful in your uh, meditation practice? Yes. Oh, yes. So that's, that's a pretty exciting thing to share about. So um, once I started got into yoga and I started meeting different teachers. Um, I discovered Kripalu up in Massachusetts, which is just this wonderfully amazing place with all these fantastic teachers. Um, but meeting one, then I meet another through that one, another through that one. So I ended up finding out about a gentleman whose name is Lauren Roche, R-O-C-H-E. And he has a book called the Radiant Sutras, which, um, it is just the most beautiful thing. Um, and I can open up to any page and I can get stuck on a sutra or a passage or just a couple of lines um, for days. Like it just, they, they envelop me. It's, a, it's amazing. It's an absolutely beautiful book. 
Um, I tell people grocery store about it. <laughs> like I'm, I, um, I usually have a couple of copies that I, that I take around with me in my travels and I, I've given them out to different people. It's just an amazing, amazing book. Um, just total delight of the senses, which is really for me what meditation is about. Um, I also have an app on my phone, um, which is a little bit more, um, I don't know if it's say traditional, but it's, it's more um, formatted. So it's called Headspace and um, it's, it's a guided meditation and it's something you do every day and you can choose how many minutes. Um, it's pretty great, but um, that's a nice thing to have on your phone. Radiant Sutras though is, it's in a class by itself. Um, it's just, it's just wonderful. And I've never, um, and I've met Lauren. Um, he's just an incredible human and, um, it's just a delight. Um, so I, it's, I can't recommend it enough. It's great. Yeah. And obviously you and I know each other. So I also, um, have met and taken a workshop with Lauren. And one of the things that I love about that book, and I'll put the, the name of the book and of him in the um, episode notes, but he's got, I guess it's not really that new anymore. He did it a few years ago, but the new edition of the book. So in the back of each book, he goes through every single sutra. So these beautiful poetic-like sutras in the beginning, he goes back to them at the back of the book and then breaks it down and actually says, like, if this sutra is speaking to you, here's a way to practice it. Yep. And, um, yep. I've, yep. I've been doing that with my clients recently. There's like one that they were talking about, for example, and it was gorgeous. And it was all about clearing your mind and the directions in the back was like, put your hand on your head and say, I choose to fill my head with this right now. You know, so there's a little bit of a beyond the beauty of what he writes. Now there's also this practicality behind it too. That's like, this is what you can do to practice this. Sutra. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book and I keep it right on my desk and um, spend some time with it every day <laughs> and it's thoroughly enjoyable. So another question I want to ask, so you and I met each other in Costa Rica a few years ago, I guess. And um, after Costa Rica, whenever I would see you on Facebook or online, it just, to me, it felt like you were always in another country, like you traveled so much. Um, and so I guess I'm wondering, like, what did you learn from traveling? What do you love about traveling? I've got some clients that are about to embark on travels. Um, like what potential does travel have in terms of affecting their recovery and how they view the world? Oh, it's traveling. Wow. It's just, um, and it, it's true. Yeah. You're right, Kristen. After <laughs> Costa Rica, I just, um, I spent all of 16 traveling um, and within the States. And then in 17, I went and spent four months um, in Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales. Um, and you now it's, it's funny. I, I, I have an aunt um, who I love very, very much. And for Christmas, she sent me a little, um, keychain with like a, a buzzer alarm on it. <laughs> and I know she gets nervous when I go places, um, which is so funny. I, I have the best experiences and I meet the best people. 
And every time, so this past summer when I was traveling around um, UK and Ireland, every time I got ready to leave an area um, and go on the next area, I'd made friends and just met the best people. And they'd say, oh, okay, so you're going over to Isle of Man. Well, you know, that's wonderful. But you know they're not as they're not as nice as we are here in you know in Dublin and <laughs> and then I'd get to Isle of Man and they're like you know incredibly wonderful people. But so aside from all of that, it's connection. It's all about. It's so 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 important. Um, I had probably one of the greatest experiences I had was um, traveling in this country. Um, in part of California and I made friends with a woman and um, I was listening to her we had just met and I rented place from her uh, to stay for a week and she started talking to me and in the middle of talking to me she burst into tears and she started talking about how um, she was an alcoholic and she'd been sober for eight years and I hadn't said a thing nothing and then uh, she had picked up again and she had eight years sober and then she picked up again and she was so upset with herself and I said wow yeah no I hear that I said you want to go to a meeting so I spent that week going with her to meetings it was the greatest experience um I hear from her now she's doing one like just excellent and it's just that is just the absolute best. When I meet somebody that I can help them with something, you know, if it's something small or something big, it really doesn't matter. It's just, um, it's so, so rewarding for me. So yes, traveling brings about amazing experiences. Um, you know, all these different cultures and the different ways people live. And yet we really are all the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like we all want the same things. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's pretty, um, it's incredible. So I highly recommend traveling. Um, and don't bring fear along. Like if your fear crops up, when my fear crops up, I say, Hey, yeah, I see you there. And I look at it, but I don't, I try not to, um, bring it with me mm. as I just, I don't, I just don't need it. Um, so anyway. So that story that you just told about the woman in California, um, you, yeah, had, yeah. you had mentioned that AA was a, like one of the first turning points for you in your recovery. What's it like for you going to, like what, or what was it like for you going to AA with her from the place that you were in then versus like when you first went to AA as someone who was still very actively drinking and sick? Um, it was, I, I just felt such gratitude. And at the same time, um, this friend of mine, she's a friend now, but, um, this woman that I had just met, she was in, she was really in a lot of pain and, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, um, to be around somebody else's pain. Even if you, even if you're not, you know, they're not somebody that you know very well, um, seeing somebody else that's suffering or, or really having a hard time. Um, and then, so watching her go through that. And then the other cool part was in the space of a week, watching this person's courage mm. 
to say, hey, you know what? I think I'll do the same thing again today. I think I'll, I think I'll, I think I'm not going to drink today. And I think I'm going to go to a meeting today. And to watch the, the courage come out in somebody. And it just, I just, that entire time, I was just completely filled with gratitude. And I could think back to my early days um, when I was in so much pain and when I just couldn't see how I was going to get through it. And it was, it was people that got me through it. Like I said, it's the teachers that I met and the, the people that, that guided me to a different path. Um, and I had, and, and I also had to really want it. Um, I had to, to want to be, um, in a good place, which I do. these days. I think it takes a lot of courage to both admit that you want it and also admit that you don't want it. Cause I think sometimes, at least I can only speak for myself. I felt like I had to want it even on the days that I didn't. And I think sometimes for me honoring the fact like today, I actually just don't want to recover and that it would change like daily for me. But I always felt like I was supposed to want it, but it wasn't until I actually wanted it that change happened. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean by that and agree. Like it was, it sounded wrong for me to be like, no, I don't want to get better. But the reality was a lot of times I, I, I didn't. When I was in the thick of my eating disorder, I did not want to get better. And that honesty, I also think, takes a lot of courage. And it, I think totally, um, people don't say it because there's some shame maybe behind that. But I think just being real with yourself and with what you're feeling is courageous. Um, Absolutely. I, I want to go back. One more thing is this idea of choice. So what it sounds like to me is you were in California at, with this with your friend who was picked up again after eight years and you know, you went to a meeting with her and then you were able to watch her every day get up. And it sounds like maybe she forgot she had choice and then remembered that she did. And like every day getting up and being like, I'm choosing to do the same thing I did yesterday, not drink and go to a meeting. I'm choosing to do the same thing that I did yesterday, not drink and go to a meeting, you know? And I think for me too, the idea of Holy crap, I have a choice in this was, so pivotal for me too. Like I never, when I didn't feel like I was a victim anymore, then I realized that the eating disorder didn't have a grip on me. I was still gripping to it. And it was my choice of if I held on to it, how hard I held on to it and when I let go of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. So my final question for you is what advice do you have for others struggling with an eating disorder or just advice for life in general that either you heard from a teacher or a therapist or that you just picked up yourself along the way in your own journey? Um, well, I definitely I keep coming back to that word that you were just talking about choice and that. <clears throat> so as I, I think I said, that idea, that first concept was brought to my attention when I was a teenager by my mother and I was an angry teenager and I did not want to hear it. <laughs> I did not want my mother saying, you know, you have a choice right now, whether you're going to be, you know, happy or not happy. And I, ju- I remember, I can remember now, I can actually see myself saying, you know, I, I didn't have a choice. No, I don't. No, I don't. You know, I I can't help it. I always came back to that. I can't help it. And the truth is, I I totally could help it. And so 
my advice is um, to, as, as challenging as it can be, stay open um, to ideas put in front of you. Um, stay open to suggestions, to thoughts that part of you may say, oh, hell no, that is just not, no, no, I don't agree with that. And it doesn't mean don't honor yourself, but just be open to your suggestions and thoughts that are around you. And with that being said, don't, a big part of, well, for me, a big part of my anorexia, a huge part of it was isolating. Um, and just to, to interact with another person. Like when I, when I traveled last summer, I told myself I was going to talk to three strangers a day and it ended up being way more than that. But that's, that's something that's been a good thing is just, um, you know, if you talk to one new person a day, um, it's, and you have no idea, but what um, this person may offer you or what you might be able to offer to this person. And that's really, really what it's about. So. Yeah, I love that. And I, um, you know, I, I try to give a homework assignment at the end of each of the podcasts. And I think that would be an awesome one for people is like every day for the next week, whether it's talking to someone brand new or it's reaching out to someone that maybe you've shut out because of your eating disorder. What's it like to every day just make one connection with another person? That's right. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Yep. Yep. So um, I want to thank you so much for being on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I love hearing it. I love hearing your voice when I haven't spoken over other than, other than Facebook in so long. So again, just thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for sharing your truth. Thank you for traveling. Thank you for your social action that you do. Um, I see so many gifts in you and um, I'm just truly grateful for you to be on, on this podcast and helping me with this project that I have as well. Well, Kristen, it's been a joy and thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, just, I'm just happy to um, share what I can. If it's going to help somebody else, that's the best. Thank you so much for listening today. Blanning had said that she shares her story in the hopes that it will help even one person. So today I hope that person was you. Just a reminder that there will be a live question and answer with me and Blanning on Friday, February 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can look in the episode notes on iTunes or on my website for the details on how to sign in. It's free. Again, it's Friday, February 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For more support, check out my website, alwaysofbeing.com. Also, keep tuning in to the Eating Disorder Recovery Speakers podcast for more interviews with people who are in recovery or who are recovered. The plan is to release a new episode every Tuesday. Um, so keep checking back, subscribe so that they automatically get put into your iTunes folder. Um, we'll do it for a few months, then we might take a little bit of a break so I can record new interviews and then we will keep going and start up again. 
As always, I want to hear from you. So email me at kristen at alwaysofbeing.com if you're well into your recovery or if you're recovered and you want to be interviewed and share your story on my podcast. Also send me any questions that you might have that you want me to answer on the podcast or you want me to ask someone that I'm interviewing on the podcast so that you get the questions answered that you feel like you most need. If this episode resonated with you, or if you think the concept of this podcast is a good one, please help other people find it more easily by rating it on iTunes, maybe leaving a comment, or sharing it with other people who might also find it helpful.